brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the A24 project here on the Nerd Party. On today's episode, we are looking at Remember and the Witch alongside your usual dose of A24 hour news. I'm Dallas King and with me as always is Lee Hutchison. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm I'm really excited for this episode. It's got one of my favourite A24 films and I'm really looking forward to chatting it with, with you guys. I know because today we are joined by a special guest. No, it is not Black Philip, but it is Kim Morrison who's joined us from Filibuster in the past. How are you, Kim? And are you looking forward to your first foray into the A24 project? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. And yes, I am. I'm very, very excited. Thank you very much for asking me. Well, that's quite all right. Um, so, like I said, you've been on Filibuster before, but for anyone who's just maybe only listens to the A24 project, do you want to sort of tell everyone a bit about yourself and how you maybe your sort of feelings on the A24 films and their back catalogue as a whole before we dive into these particular films? Yeah, so I'm um, predominantly a horror writer. I write for a website called That's Not Current. Um, so, yeah, my exposure to A24 is maybe mostly horror based. Um, so I maybe yeah maybe don't have as much as much knowledge as things like Green Room and Hereditary and stuff would be the ones that I uh, have seen it and enjoyed. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about these these films. Well, I mean, I think Lee and I were in the the same position that you know we've seen sort of a, a lot. Certainly when we started, we saw a lot of the big hitters sort of towards the end of the catalogue. But there's been some ones, including one on today's episode, which I'd never actually heard of before and not seen. So yeah, it's interesting to get uh, our views on those ones. But as always, you know, we begin our episodes with a, a little bit of A24 hour news. And as is the curse of this podcast, A24 always wait until after we've recorded an episode to drop some major news. And um, during last week's episode, it was announced that the Oscar winner Jennifer Lawrence is returning from her acting sabbatical. That's what it said in the press release, which I find amusing considering X-Men Dark Phoenix is out in a couple of weeks, but maybe we're just glossing over that one. And she's going to start in untitled A24 drama. Let's face it, you could release the finished movie with that title and it would qualify for Oscars. But the synopsis is also going to help because apparently Lawrence will star as a US soldier who suffers a traumatic brain injury in Afghanistan and she will star opposite by Ryan Tyree Henry who is from In Beale Street Could Talk and she'll be directed by stage director Leela Nigebauer and written by first time screenwriter Elizabeth Sanders. Are you guys excited for this one? Yeah, I'm excited for it because I tend not to like Jennifer Lawrence's sort of 
big movies but things like mother come along and i love her in that i think she's amazing in that and i think that when she works with like a really good director i think she gets honed in a little bit whereas i think sort of with the x-men movies she seems to just be sort of doing jennifer lawrence kind of going through the motions of i'm going to come here i'm going to do what I need to do and then get the paycheck and leave. But I think sometimes with the right script and the right director, you know, she always produces some fantastic performances. So hopefully we get the same again here. Yeah, I'll pretty much watch Jennifer Lawrence and anything. So <laughs> I'd be yeah, quite excited to see this. Yeah, no, me too. I think she's she's a great actress when she, she picks the right roles. I think, I mean, she was, she made The Hunger Games, I think the success of what it was, certainly in the first one. And, but yeah, I think, I think she she's basically said that she's been doing the X Men films because you know they they had an agreement between Fassbender, McAvoy, and Lawrence that as long as the three of them did them together, they continue doing them. But I think that's probably going to change now. That of course, they've been bought over by Disney. But I'm really excited to see what she does here. I mean, I think she's fantastic in small roles and big roles. I mean, I was one of the few people that probably be chastised for saying this think that she actually should have won Best Supporting Actress over Lupita Nyong'o because I thought that she was fantastic in uh, American Hustle and that was almost one of her better roles over the one that she actually won. I thought she was better in that than she was in Silver Lines Playbook but I guess we'll have to see but I, I expect it's probably Oscar nomination guaranteed even just by going <laughs> on the plot and the, and the pedigree of A24 for this one. But now so going back to the sort of current lineup, the Sundance London lineup has been announced and that'll be taking place at the first weekend of June at Picturehouse Central and The Farewell which was picked up by A24 at Sundance will feature as one of their gala screenings and for more about The Farewell you should check out Missing Frames on the Nerd Party where Sean host Sean Eastridge was at the Atlanta Film Festival and spoke with the film's director Lulu Wang. Uh, Sean Eastridge has actually been really generous and shared his red carpet interview with The Farewell's writer-director Lou Wong from the Atlanta Film Festival which he covered earlier this year. The trailer for this movie will land typically the day after the film is released. So, a bit of context, The Farewell is about a headstrong Chinese-American woman who returns to China when her beloved grandmother is diagnosed with terminal cancer. And as she struggles with her family's decision to keep grandma in the dark about her own illness, they all stage an impromptu wedding to see grandma one last time. So here's Sean's interview. Thank you for being here. So this is your second feature. Yes. Which is super exciting. Yes. And what kind of, what was the journey to get this movie made? Because I know it's a very personal story. Yeah. So what was that like trying to pitch that? And were there any struggles getting it to hear it to the big screen? Yeah, um, I mean, a lot. You know, it's, it's a, I would say, 100% Asian cast. Um, and it, there's a lot of Chinese in it, so it, there's a lot of subtitles. That was the film that I wanted to make. I wanted to make exactly the movie that um, you see, and I think that there was a, a, a producers who were interested initially, but they wanted a different movie. They wanted a bigger, broader movie, and they, they may have forced me to cast in a different way, and so it, was, it took some time before I found the right producers, and it was really because I did a story for This American Life, um, and everybody heard it that um, I was able to find the right partners. Nice. And then I, I guess as far as finding the balance, because it's such a personal story and it sounds really amazing, how do you find the balance of telling a narrative and disconnecting yourself to be objective about the source material and being objective and telling the story as something that can appeal to an audience and trying to put on your director hat and your writer hat as opposed to kind of like, I experienced this, it's emotional to me, but making that broader in terms of appeal. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I never necessarily went about it thinking, how do I make this appeal to people? It was always like, 
um, what's the emotional core of every scene, you know, and um, what is the movie really about? I mean, the movie's about um, Billy, who uh, wants to have a cathartic goodbye, wants to say goodbye to her grandmother, and usually that means both people know that it's goodbye, uh, but because her grandmother doesn't know, she's not really able to have a proper goodbye. And so then how does she, um, you know, handle that? Like, how do you say goodbye? And I just kept asking that question as I was um, uh, directing the film and writing it as well, and, and just saying, because sometimes it isn't about a plot in a particular scene, but it's an emotional beat of, um, yeah, how she's feeling when grandma says, I can't wait to throw you a wedding banquet, but, you know, deep down she knows that that, may, that will probably not happen. Gotcha. So are we looking forward to seeing the farewell? I mean, it's probably going to be a couple of months after Sundance. There may be a chance it turns up at the Edinburgh Film Festival. Is this one that we're both looking forward? We're all looking forward to. Um, it's one I don't know too much about yet. Um, but I, I was kind of hoping for a bit more A twenty four films at Sundance London. I was actually debating going down and and covering it, but I was sort of looking at the films that I was hoping were going to be there but weren't there. And I'm kind of thinking, right, hopefully they'll be at the Edinburgh Film Festival. So um, I've got my fingers crossed for things like. Um, Tilda Swinton's new movie is going to be there so hopefully um, when they announce their, their programme at the end of May that those films are going to be in there Yeah Kim have you heard much of the, about The Farewell is this one that's on, on your radar? It is not sadly yeah unless it's um, unless it's horror a lot of the time I just miss it <laughs> I, I don't think this is apparently a, a touching sort of comedy about a uh, uh, Asian American woman who goes back home to, to visit her grandmother before she dies. So it's probably not. Although you could, you could, I'm sure it could take a horror twist if they so wanted. You know, <laughs> you know, she comes back and finds out that her grandfather, grandmother's already dead or possessed by a ghost or something. So who knows? We could do a remake. We could do a remake of it right now. We're spitballing it here. But the yeah. <laughs> uh, the final news, which is potentially a bit more horror based, and it ties in rather conveniently actually this time round for this episode in that. Robert Eggers' new film, The Lighthouse, has been announced its debut in the director's fortnight at the Cannes Film Festival. Plot synopsis is rather light on the ground, as it comes to most A24 films before release, but it features a lighthouse and two lighthouse keepers, played by Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And, of course, Robert Eggers is the director of The Witch, which we're about to talk about now, so are we excited for this one? Yes, absolutely. Um, I I just think it's going to be an exciting kind of follow-up. I think everyone's been waiting with kind of bated breath to see how he would follow up something like The Witch, which kind of came out of nowhere for most people. And I think this one, you know, based on the cast alone, is one I'm really excited for. I think, you know, Robert Pattinson, is he probably the most kind of regular actor kind of in A24 films now? I think he might be. So I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this one. Yeah, I think it looks it looks good. It looks a bit weird, and yeah, I'm quite I'm always quite keen to get on anything Robert Pattinson's in. So yeah, no, this one looks exciting. Yeah, no, so I'm very excited as well. And it looks like I don't know if Robert Eggers is going to go for a sort of New England sort of a East Coast American trilogy because the the Witch is set in New England. This one's apparently set in Maine, so he's sort of staying in that sort of area. And I think uh, yeah, this is going to be something very exciting to see. But, of course, as we mentioned, you know, the first film that we're going to talk about is The Witch, by, written and directed by Robert Eggers, released in 2015, and stars Anya Taylor-Joy and Kate Dickey and Ralph Innocent. And the film is 
as I said, is set in New England in the year 1630. William and Catherine try to lead a devout Christian life, homesteading on the edge of an impassable wilderness with five children. When their newborn son mysteriously vanishes and their crops fail, the family begins to turn on one another. A chilling portrait of a family unravelling their own sins, leaving them prey to an inconceivable evil. So, Kim, I'm going to come to you first on this one. When did you first hear about the witch when did you first see it and what were your first thoughts on when you watched it so i heard about it when it like came out and uh, it sounded really good everyone was like going mental about it they said it sounded amazing i actually watched it for the first time on i think like saturday because (laughs) it was on netflix for ages and i never got around to watching it and then um it was on like film four at halloween and i uh, recorded it on my virgin box and then uh, eventually just bought it on dvd and watched it so yeah i just i literally just watched it um i'm very impressed that it wasn't spoiled for me in any major way and I really enjoyed it I see a lot of people sort of talking recently with things that come out like Get Out and Us and stuff about whether things are horror films or not and and the witch kind of falls under that quite a lot I would totally agree that it's a horror film and I didn't find it particularly scary personally but I did really I really enjoyed it I really liked it. it sort of took a twist that I wasn't really expecting. I didn't really know where the where the story was gonna go to be honest. And yeah, I thought I thought it was it was really good and it had a really good ending and yeah, I I just I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. Lee, what about yourself? When did you first encounter the witch? Well, I remembered sort of the trailers at the time weren't really doing too much for me. And I sort of, I've, I've kind of said it before, like I'm not the biggest horror fan in the world. And I was kind of seeing the trailers for this and kind of a bit lukewarm. It, it, it just wasn't kind of triggering anything for me. But I went to see it kind of opening weekend anyway, which is kind of telling about how I spend my spare time. So I went along and saw it. And I, then I came out as one of those people that just started raving about it to people, just saying to anyone that I knew, just like, please go see this movie. It's really, really good. You're going to be surprised. Hey, it's got that guy from it's got chris finch from the office and he's amazing in it and i just think it was one of those real surprise movies i mean i think this was anya taylor joy's kind of first big screen movie you know and she just completely blew me away i think all the stuff with black philip had managed to keep itself under wraps (laughs) he wasn't even a a pop funko at this point um so i was just really all in for this movie it kind of just it was a, a really good running time and it just managed to keep the tension running for that whole period and it just kind of went in ways that I didn't expect either and it's one of those ones like I agree it is a horror film I, the argument about what is and isn't horror movies I find bizarre at times people will seem to want to tell you that a horror movie is not a horror movie because <laughs> it makes them superior in some way I don't get that whole thing but I just think this is something that it was a really special film and I think it's it's I'm just so glad to see it sort of exploded in the past few years and people are finding it enjoying it and it's one I, I think is, is definitely in the top tier of A24 films yeah I think it's this argument which certainly came out in the last sort of year with Hereditary and, and Get Out about elevated horror <laughs> I think is what they call it where it's like you're trying to make a horror film seem more classy or more palatable to the awards crowd I don't know but I think you know horror always comes in waves you've got either you've got slashers you've got areas of 
body horror. You've got you know, sort of the torture porn that sort of started with saws and hostels and whatever. So maybe if something like this comes along, which doesn't maybe immediately fit into the larger spectrum of what's happening with horror at that point, people seem to think it's well, or it's just maybe sometimes a film is not obviously scary it's not got the jump scares or it's not got lashings of gore but i mean you could you know argue that this one within like the first 10 minutes is when the baby goes missing and then it gets ground up into a piece that's pretty horrific so um i think that you could argue that i think this one's pretty much a horror from that point on it's just you know it's all about what people find scary and perhaps it's maybe because it's dealing with religion and stuff like that but i mean you know the exorcist you know one of the apparently scariest films of all time well that's what people told me but i saw repossessed the leslie nielsen spoof before i saw the exorcist so therefore i didn't find the exorcist particularly scary when it came out i could tell it was a very well-made film but for me i didn't find it particularly scary but this one was very chilling and i don't know what it was but i had it in my head that when i had watched it the first time that this film was in black and white i thought it was a black and white period piece but then watching it i was like oh this is color i mean the colors are very muted and stuff like that so i mean the reds do pop out a lot more but it was like oh i just i don't know when i don't know if it's have you ever had this sort of thing where you've watched a film and you've had it in your head that something happened or it was done a certain way and then when you rewatch it it's like oh it wasn't that at all actually has anyone else ever had that <laughs> I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't think of. Yeah, no, I think it. Yeah, no, I think it's it's the Mandela effect or something. <laughs> people talk about this Mandela thing where people thought that Mandela had died in prison, but he hadn't or something. I don't know. I'd never actually heard of that until recently. I think it was just one of those weird things. It's like, what? Really? I was like, okay. It's like the shaky head guy and the memes on Twitter, just like what? So yeah, um. So I mean the I think the look of the film is is fantastic. It's got a beautiful sort of style and like you say, the performances are just fantastic. You know, this was Anya Taylor Joy's first sort of big screen film and she's just sort of blown up since, you know, in the likes of Split and Glass and stuff like that. But I mean, like you say, you mentioned it before, you know, this is the film that stars Finchie. You know, he's throwing a kettle over a pub. What have you done? You know, did we like the Finchmeister in this one? <laughs> Yeah, I really liked it, and I loved how to see Kate Dickey in a role as well, where she isn't just reduced to being an extra or a small role. I mean, I think of Kate Dickey and Red Road. I saw that movie, and I thought, like, surely she is going to go on and just be, you know, this amazing kind of lead actress in a lot of kind of independent movies, and that just doesn't seem to have been the case at all. I, I'm pretty sure she's in Game of Thrones, isn't she? But um, I just feel that sort of the film world has badly let her down, and I think a movie like this, which gives her a showcase, is fantastic, and. The same with Ralph Innocent and uh, Innocent, and I just wish he was in more leading kind of role performance as well because I think he's excellent in this. Even though I heard that he had a bit of a, a rough time with his co-star, <laughs> yes. um, Black Philip, I just think he's yeah, I think he's fantastic in this. And Kate Dickey, I just feel with that American cinema or British cinema in particular has really let them down. And it takes an Amer- a director like Robert Eggers to to kind of realize that these two are great actors and great talents, and and not just comedic people or someone that you just shove as an extra on a Death Star. Te- technically, it was a Star Destroyer. Technically, it was a Star Destroyer, <laughs> not a Death Star. Just saying that. Apologies. I think um, all the like kid actors in it were really good as well. Like with the film only being like six people, 
um, and four of them being like quite young, it was obviously important that they weren't just like rubbish kid actors. And I think um, like Caleb and the twins and stuff were like, um, yeah, they were really good as well. You just really believe them as like a, a family and the, the way like things happened, like everything just started snowballing and stuff. It all seemed very, very realistic. So yeah, I liked I liked everyone's everyone's performance, and it was was very good. Yeah, no, I thought the the entire cast was fantastic. I thought the the actor who played Caleb was was terrific. Although, I did find the two young kids annoying, and I I have to say I was kind of glad that they they met a rather <laughs> actually I was going to say grisly end, but we actually don't really see what happened to them, and they end up getting into. Sp- I'm basically spoiling the movie for anyone who hasn't seen The Witch yet, but unfortunately, I mean, it's it's safe to say that you know from the synopsis, it's it's not going to end well for the family. But I know there's been some talk on the on the internet and stuff like that. People sort of analysing the film, and you know, Robert Eggers was has written about how he's obsessed with you know he used to go to these sort of places and read about you know witchcraft and stuff like that, and a lot of what happened is based on sort of real testimony uh, from the sort of the witch trials and stuff from back then and you know there's some great films and great documentaries about that sort of thing but do what were you up until I think it's safe to say like the third act and the final sort of 10 minutes it could potentially be left open as to what exactly is going on and whether it's really something supernatural or whether it's just a family breaking down or whatever what did you guys think of the the witch element on it? Did you think it was who did you think was potentially most susceptible to the the witch's influence? Was it the kids or was it Thomasin or? I, I it was one of those ones. I, I I think what I liked kind of early on is sometimes you do get that kind of ambiguity of like is there a witch involved and is it supernatural? But it's like I think the fact that they like quite early on the kid goes missing and it's so clear that it couldn't have just walked away. It just vanished in front of the eyes essentially. I think like that makes it kind of all the more scary. Like it just keeps building up like what's kind of going on where's sort of the kind of this horror element going to kind of really kick in we sort of are teased with things things go missing we get little images and i, I just really liked that element that it was like we're going to take away the ambiguity and it's going to be it you know it's going to be something supernatural as opposed to some films which kind of play with it a little bit more and have that kind of you know more cynical eye and i liked that it played into sort of the language of the time the the witch trials and like their reactions would be that you know what we would maybe sneer at nowadays if someone proposed that there was a witch or supernatural elements involved that would have been the natural reaction of those kind of people um, and what they were kind of living through and i think that really stayed true to kind of the the period of time that they're like they're really focusing i think like um i don't blame like thomason at all for um like what she does at the end like basically becoming a witch herself because her everything that kind of happens in her life i think like you know her parents have kind of made all the choices so they're kind of resigned to the little kids are too kind of young to remember but she's kind of stuck in between where um she's talking about like their their past life like when they lived in england and stuff and they had glass in the windows and um then she's just been like dragged out in the middle of nowhere and she's gonna get sold to like another family and stuff so i think like with her parents not treating her very nicely and everything and her the her only siblings that are left alive are just horrible that I think um yeah, if she gets offered this 
this um, nicer or more fun sounded life at least are like I don't blame her at all for <laughs> going off with the goat basically because it looks like it would be a lot more fun than what she was what she was stuck with I think you're right because at the end of the movie she's kind of the only one left alive and she's got the choice of well she could either stay on her sort of homestead and try and do everything herself or she could try and go back to the village that you know they'd left willingly in order to seek out a new purer life but then she would obviously be met with questions of you know what why are they all dead and whatever and i guess you know potentially subjected to a witch trial herself so i guess yeah why not go willingly and into the uh, into the night with with black philip who has to say, i have to say gives one of the best animal acting performances of the last sort of few years i thought he was fantastic in it i thought he was brilliant and uh, i'd like to see more of black philip apparently they tried to do more with black philip but he wasn't sort of the best uh <laughs> bathed goat in the world and i i wanted to see if we can maybe get her on but like there was a goat handler for black philip that is meant to be like the number one go-to person in this and like some of the actors like ralph henderson were kind of a bit negative about black philip and what had kind of gone on apparently uh ralph got injured quite early on and the handler was like no that's that you know we can't really blame the, the, the goat for all this you know the goat was wet very well behaved etc etc so um yeah i really want to get that goat handler on the podcast one day absolutely so you know sort of final thoughts on on the witch from everyone and you know a quick answer to the the question you know that on on everyone's lips is you know do you want to live deliciously I, I want to also pose a question in my final thoughts is do do we all follow the church of um satan on twitter uh, no. I'm I don't, no should we should we be is, is it a good account to, to follow yeah honestly the yeah the church of satan has some of the best power on twitter honestly i kid you not best power on twitter and um what it does is that they feel the witch is one of the best films that sort of represents the satanic church and that period of time and their beliefs that they actually put on screenings of the witch because they believe it is that good a representation of that period of time and their beliefs so i would encourage people to next time you maybe watch the witch watch it through the eyes of the satanic church and they, this film has their rare endorsement about how it uh, portrays the satanic nature and lee is that you Twitter. or is that black philip talking i want to know <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bit of both but trust me it is going to be an easy follow for you guys so kim any final thoughts from you on on the witch and you know how how does it rate for you in terms of the sort of a24 films which you've seen sort of so far yeah i think it i think it was really good i feel like it's kind of similar to things like um hereditary where i really enjoyed them and they were like really suspenseful and a bit creepy and stuff the it didn't it didn't scare me as much as i thought i was gonna you know i've read things by like stephen king saying like it was absolutely terrifying and stuff so i was a little bit sad about that because i always like i actively watch horror like to be scared but i don't think that takes away from like how good a film it was it was really enjoyable it was really like tense um and especially like not knowing what was happening 
uh, and what like the ending was going to be I, I really liked it so yeah I would definitely recommend that everyone check it out whether you like horror or not it was it was it was really good and I I definitely would have went off with a goat at the end with promises a taste of butter and pretty dresses and stuff I would have been out of there <laughs> absolutely and while you've been talking I've just been tweeted by Lee trying to get me to join the church of satan on twitter <laughs> he's trying to convert us all so <laughs> I'm really quite worried uh Lee I'm not going to sign the book in in my name for you but uh, I will be signing the Black Phillips book uh, in an endorse, ringing endorsement of Robert Eggers who made his fantastic debut I rated it 5 stars when I saw it it was one of the most effective films I saw that year, a fantastic performance from Anya Taylor-Joy who's just gone on to great things and yes I think the future is, is bright for Robert Eggers and Black Phillip and we will hopefully be living deliciously when we see what he has followed up with, with The Lighthouse when uh, news comes out of can i'm not going to say seeing it in may or whatever because given how these film festivals go it could be many months before we get to see the finished product lighthouse but i'm expecting very very good things so moving swiftly on our second film of the episode is remember and this is written by benjamin august and directed by atom egoyan who has previously done the captive which also featured on the a24 project has to be fair to say that Lee and I were not overly enthusiastic about the captive as a film, but perhaps, perhaps our, our, you know we're going to change our minds on this one, which uh, is a film starring Christopher Plummer and Martin Landau, Bruno Ganz and Jurgen Prochnow, and it's about a man who, with the aid of a fellow Auschwitz survivor and a handwritten letter, an elderly man suffering from dementia, goes in search of the person he believes to be responsible for the death of his family in the death camp to kill him himself. So, this was a brand new first time watch for me. I'd not even heard of it before starting this project. I'm imagining it's potentially the same for you guys as well. Had either of you seen this film before? No. No, no. So, what were your initial thoughts on the film, and also Christopher Plummer's Christopher Plummer's performance? What was, what did people make of it? I think it's one of these ones. I think to say why I liked the movie quite a lot would be to somewhat spoil it to an extent. So, I would say, kind of, if you're listening to this, go check out. Kind of remember it's screen it's streaming on Amazon Prime go check that out and then kind of dive into this conversation and for me I I really liked it a lot because I didn't really know what to expect going in and I can't even remember sort of when I even realized what the plot was going to be maybe actually you know a week or two before I actually started watching the film and I went in sort of you know this sounds interesting okay I'll I'll kind of put it on I I thought it'd be sort of a a bit of a kind of you know a dry drama nothing particularly exciting you know I, I love Christopher Plummer but I was sitting there one night and I was sort of just knocking up the artwork for for this episode and I typed in Remember film and I, then I noticed kind of Dean Norris was in it from Breaking Bad which kind of was like oh I, I didn't realise he was going to be in this and sort of when I kind of dived into the film I think it was sort of during the heat wave and I was just like oh I just kind of want to chill out for a little bit I don't want to go out into the heat and melt and I was really gripped by this film and I was kind of watching it at the beginning and it it feels like a combination between sort of the Terminator and Memento and it kind of really works. It's like an old man 
Terminator. This guy that is going out hunting Nazi war criminals in America and Canada and taking them out. And then sort of the twist at the end, I just thought was, I didn't see coming personally. But then it makes sense when I look back at the film, sort of thinking, oh, there was a sign there, there was a sign there, that this individual that has been essentially programmed to go off on this killing spree is in fact a Nazi war criminal himself that has been taken advantage of, um, you could argue in a positive way, by sort of a, a Jewish individual that is in a care home. And I, I just think it's a really clever film, and it was one that genuinely surprised me in a way that not many films have in quite a while in terms of a twist. Yeah, um, like, before I watched it, which was just um, at the weekend, I, I, yeah, I didn't even know it, I didn't even know anything about it, I just literally, like, pressed play on it and started watching it, so, yeah, I wasn't sure where it was going. Um, I'm not entirely sure I enjoyed it, and not because I think it was bad or anything, just because, um, for someone who watches as much horror as I do, I have problems with films that are, like, too real, and this, I was, (laughs) I was so tense the entire way through, because I was just so worried what was going to happen to, like, this old guy with Alzheimer's like traveling halfway across the country and trying to murder folk and get away with it it was so like stressful I was really like uncomfortable the entire time so I'm not sure if it's one I would like rush back to watch but um I did think it was good but I just yeah personally I was a bit stressed out by it but I, yeah I'm the same as you Lee I did not see the ending come in at all I thought there's maybe something a bit weird going on because Ken every time it flashed back to him like phoning when he phones like Max and stuff, every time it kind of flashed back to them talking, it always seemed to just be like he was just drilling it in his head. Like it felt a bit weird, but I I still had no idea what the what the what the twist was going to be when it came, and I was a bit like whoa. And then the actual end, I was like oh okay wow that's that's bleak. So um yeah no it was it was it was good, but I was just very very on edge the entire the entire time I was watching it. I wasn't immediately gripped by the film. I- it was something, it, it took a while for me to, to get into it. I think it was because, like, the first sort of two people that he meets who are on his, his list, essentially, you know, there was not really as much of a confrontation as, as I was expecting. It was all over kind of quickly, and I was thinking, oh, he's getting through his list kind of fast. I mean, obviously it's going to be the last person on his list, otherwise, you know, there's no point in, in having the list. But I think once um, yeah, once he sort of got onto the, the third bit and sort of met sort of Dean Norris's character, who was, yeah, so it was, it was great, it's, it's Hank and Breaking Bad, and you know, you, you were really sort of feeling for him at that point when you thought, oh my god, how's he going to get out of this? It's, you know, it's, it's like, oh, he's in the house of a Nazi and he's a Jew, and it's like, oh no, how's he going to get out? And then he's you know, it's completely vulnerable and, you know, it's just such a strength of... One of the things that got me through the film to this point was the strength of Christopher Plummer's performance. I thought he was just absolutely magnificent in this film. You know, he's been on a, a bit of a career resurgence recently. You know, obviously, you know, there was all the memes and the jokes, you know, when he, you know, replaced Kevin Spacey in All the Money in the World. But even sort of back before then, you know, he'd recently won the Oscar and stuff like that as well. He's been in sort of Girl the Dragon Tattoo, you know, he's great in The Last Station and stuff like that. So, you know, he's been on a role recently and I thought he was just utterly superb and utterly convincing in the role. And so, yeah, when this quite incredible third act twist comes around and you realise that he's basically, that he is the man that he's been 
searching for the entire time and he's been manipulated in a way and Lee like you said I mean the first film that I thought of I was like is this is like a octogenarian version of Memento so you know where you know you, you realize that you know I mean it's it's sort of clear from the outset Memento that Leonard's being played but then you don't actually realize the full extent of what is going on until the end of Memento and it, it just had that sort of sucker punch of an ending where you just you're like oh my god I can't believe this and then it does make you sort of go back and think about everything that you've seen before and yeah it was quite a chilling and, and in the end ultimately quite quite moving piece and I mean it's the beauty of this sort of project is that this is one of those films that I would never have watched if it wasn't for this because I'd, I'd never heard of it before I'd never really never had the opportunity to see it before and it's it's just something that sort of came out of nowhere and yeah kind of blindsided me and you know compared to the previous film which we've watched of his The Captive this was this was in a whole nother league I think one thing I, I want to say is that scene with sort of Dean Norris in the house is one of the kind of most stressful things I've watched in a film this year um, and it was just kind of watching it and it was just sort of as escalating I was like oh my god it's stressful enough that the guy's turned up oh my god it can't get any more stressful than this and it's just one of those ones that just keeps escalating and escalating and then when he sort of realises he's a Jew I'm thinking like hopefully he's going to be okay about it hopefully it's just his dad that's like a Nazi scumbag oh no he's a Nazi scumbag too well I hope the dog isn't going to be a Nazi oh no the dog is a Nazi scumbag as well and it was just like I was sitting there like oh my god please shoot the dog please shoot the dog and it was I never thought I'd say this but god it was such a relief when that dog got a tap in the ass well actually we're going to revisit in two episodes time Uh, we're going to get more neo-Nazi dogs uh, when we revisit Green Room so uh, there seems to be a theme emerging in the A24 project but uh, it reminded me of it's not obviously not exactly the same but there's that wonderful scene in Zodiac, you know, where Jake John Hall is in the house of the, the sort of theatre projectionist and they go down into the basement and it's like it's like one of those scenes where you're just wishing for him to just turn around, walk out the door, get out of there immediately and you're hoping that they do get out without anything happening to them. And he, yeah, it was that same kind of sort of tension sort of happening, I thought. And yeah, it was all down to the performances, I thought, which were were great and it's just like oh i mean if, well of course he's going to be a nazi it's like you know it's, it's something about all sort of cops in, in america and canada and stuff like that they, they all turn out to be neo-nazis it's like oh why there you go there's your warning sign if you listen to this podcast take away that advice dogs can be nazis too <laughs> what was it? it was in scotland there was like a guy got arrested for making his dog do a nazi story. yeah but, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I believe, yeah. <laughs> well, there was a footballer recently who apparently claimed he did. Oh, yes. Wayne Hennessy. Salute was when he did one. Yes. But then, of course, he then sort of said, just digging himself into a deeper hole, that he really wanted to find out more about the Nazis so he could learn about them. And I'm like, oh, God, stop digging the hole, stop digging the hole. So, yeah, this was, I mean, if this film didn't have the twist, do you think it would have been as memorable or as good, or do you think it's the twist that made it? Or if this had been just a very straightforward sort of narrative of sort of going around seeking revenge and, and ultimately getting it, do you think it would have been as emotionally sort of satisfying or cathartic, or do you think it it's the twist that makes it all? 
I th- pull it together. Yeah. I think you get kind of caught up in Christopher Plummer's performance, and I think when you discover that he is a Nazi, that you sort of feel a bit heartbroken. That you kind of get pulled into his sort of world. You think, you know, you feel for him, sort of the loss of his wife, and that you you can almost understand why someone that's got nothing left to lose in terms of age and life and you know his family could go on sort of a spree like this and then it's when you realize he's a nazi there's almost an element of still pity involved and i was quite surprised that it sort of provoked that reaction out of me and i think that kind of made it stand out for me i think if it had been a sort of a traditional movie you know a to b you know he finds the person kills them and kind of that's the end of it i think it would have been okay but i think that sort of twist really adds to it and what it makes you feel yeah i think it was a bit um yeah i wasn't sold on it really at all until like he got to the the nazi policeman guy's house because yeah that was that whole scene was just yeah horribly tense and then um obviously you kind of figured out by the time he gets to the last guy the last guy must be the guy he's looking for because he's the only name left on the list yeah i think without the the kind of twist and the the kind of shocking ending it wouldn't be as memorable so i mean I, like i said i don't think it's probably one i would watch again anyway i don't know how much impact it would have if you knew the ending anyway watching it again but um yeah i think if it didn't sort of have that that quite shocking end and it would just it would be for me anyway quite forgettable yeah it's not one that you would remember one would say yeah (laughs) uh, i mean i was wondering so after watching it i was thinking is this gonna like provoke like rather awkward conversations about well you know if he's a nazi but he doesn't remember a nazi it, does that make it okay? Would you just let him off with all his past crimes if he can't actually remember what he's done? And it was like, oh gosh, actually that's a whole sort of rabbit hole I don't think I want to, to dive <laughs> into because, yeah, there's going to be yeah arguments and you know culpability and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh gosh, no, no, not do that. But I think, yeah, I think we can all sort of agree that it's, it's certainly one of the more memorable sort of twist endings we've had on, on the A24 project and, and probably sort of, a, a, you know, at this point, one of the the, the best performances I think we've seen uh, in Christopher Plummer. And I think it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Obviously, if you're listening to this and have not seen Remember, obviously we have completely ruined the film for you, but hopefully you can maybe watch it with, with, a, with, a, with that in mind and maybe see if it still works as a film when you know like you say when if you know what's happening so yeah so so Kim as a, a newcomer to the A24 project how was your first sort of uh, foray into the the world of A24 been have you enjoyed it are you going to seek out more A24 films on the back of this yeah I think um I mean like I said I think I'd only seen a couple before I think it's good because something like remember I just never would have I never would have watched that like if I'd read the plot I would just been like no no thanks um so yeah it's always good to get me to watch something a bit different and yeah I finally got around to to watching watching the witch which I've just been um I'm very bad for just watching the same old films that I like over and over again so it's always exciting to watch something new but yeah no I'm um I would definitely excited to watch uh more stuff and yeah I think it'll be it'll be interesting I like um things that are a, a little bit different like like uh, the witch and hereditary just a little bit out of the norm and stuff so um yeah if there's more stuff like that i definitely want to watch more stuff you can technically say you're our second female guest after um <laughs> shapiro from hereditary so there you go you sort of are following in her footsteps nice and coming it's on quite an show. honor <laughs> yeah well 
And you managed to leave with it with your head as well, so there's a plus two. So that brings us to the end of episode 16 of the A24 Project, and next episode we're going to be looking at, again, two very different films. We're going to be looking at Krisha and The Adderall Diaries, or as it was released on DVD and streaming in the UK, True Deception. So, Kim, thank you for coming on. Lee, a pleasure as always, and we'll see you next time on the A24 Project. Bye-bye.